And I have the privilege today of preaching to us our second to last sermon in our uh, series this summer on 1 Peter. So if you have a Bible, um, turn to 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. I would really encourage you to get uh, it in front of you if you can on your phone uh, or if you did bring your Bible, pull it out. Um, when we open God's word together, we want to work to understand it. And that work will be made easier and more joy, joyful for you if you can um, look at it yourself as we, as we go along. So 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. It's after Titus, after Hebrews. If you get to 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, you've gone too far. So hear the word of the Lord. I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing them out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, as we open your word, we ask that your spirit would come uh, and open our hearts, uh, not just to seeing our own faults and our own weaknesses, but to seeing your love and your strength. So Lord, would you do that for us today? Amen. In preparation for this sermon that I knew would be on leadership, I went to uh, the TED Talks website. TED Talks, this website's been around for a while. They give talks on technology, entertainment, and design, uh, and I searched leadership. And I wanted to see what, what would come up. So uh, here are a few of my favorites. I found some interesting people with some interesting ideas. I'll give you the highlights. Uh, if you want to train your people to be better problem solvers, have them draw the process of making toast. I guess somehow that, that will do that. If you want to get ahead in an ever-changing world, be paranoid about what could change next. Uh, or here's one, uh, if you want to draw out wisdom from your employees or your students, create businesses and schools with little to no rules. So th those are some interesting ones. There were also some more normal ones, but there's one thing that all these TED Talks had in common. They all thought and talked as if cutting-edge leadership and institution institutional success is about the presence of good ideas or good practices. And as we look closely at our, our portion of Scripture today, I want us to see that the Bible's teaching is categorically different. Um, the Bible, the distinction of the church, is not the presence of a good idea or a good practice, but it's the presence of a person, God. And as we look at a passage that deals with the church and her leaders, who they are and what they do, I want us to see that fundamentally what the church is about is who the chief shepherd is. And, who the chief, and what the chief shepherd does. So that's our, our main idea for the day. Uh, the chief shepherd guides and glorifies his flock. And we'll see that it's God who establishes shepherds, it's God who empowers shepherds, and it's God who emboldens his flock. 
So at the beginning of our passage, uh, Peter is about to exhort elders. So if you've been in our church for a while, this word should be familiar to you, elder. But if you're new to Christianity or, or maybe new to our church, maybe that's unclear. And when we don't know a word, we do this thing where we see what the word sounds like to try and figure it out. So elder sounds like elderly, close, but not exactly the same. Uh, elder refers to a leadership position in the church held by individuals who are spiritually mature. Um, spiritual maturity can and often does follow physical maturity, but um, they're not always uh, correlated or exactly the same. So it's good when a church has elders that are more advanced in age, uh, but, physical, um, but churches might have younger elders. The Bible doesn't give uh, an age range for elders. And, and it's worth saying, a good portion of this text uh, is addressed to elders. And I'm not an elder, and almost everybody in this room is not an elder. Um, but what I want us to do is to receive direct instruction to elders as indirectly relevant and applicable for us. Um, us Christians who take initiative to do people in our lives spiritual good. If you're a parent, you're a spiritual leader. If you're an aunt, uncle, or grandparent, you're a spiritual leader. If you are a friend to believers or unbelievers who desires to do them good, um, for their spiritual good, then you are a spiritual leader. So as we receive this morning this vision for what church leadership should be, I would invite you to open your own heart, even if you're not an elder, to receive what the Holy Spirit might say to you through this passage. Okay, so in verse 1, we see that Peter is about to give a charge to elders, but before he gives his charge, he gives some credentials. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Now, we're, we're familiar with this kind of practice. I teach science at John Stark, and whenever there's some snow and some ice, I get a phone call, an automated voice message, and it says, hello, this is Superintendent Jackie Coe, and due to the snow and ice, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. She starts her message stating her position, this is superintendent, and her name, Jackie Coe. She does this uh, to put forward her authority. Why does this matter? Because when we hear the speaker has authority, we listen, because we wonder if it might impact us. Maybe, I, maybe I'll get to not go to school today, because there's snow and ice. As good for teachers as it is for students. Um, and at first glance, it may seem like this is what Peter's doing. Hello, this is Super Apostle Peter. And I charge you, but if we look closer, that's actually the opposite of what he's doing. He says, as a fellow elder, in other words, someone who holds the same position as you, and then that connotation of fellow carries through. And fellow witness to the sufferings of Christ, he's not talking about being an eyewitness, he's talking about being a verbal witness about the sufferings, as well as, we could insert in fellow, share in the glory about to be revealed. Peter puts himself forward as an elder and a believer, a Christian, just like his hearers. And we need to remember who's writing this. This is Peter, affectionately known throughout church history as Saint Peter. Uh, and let's refresh ourselves of, of Peter's resume. Uh, Peter was one of the first disciples that Jesus called. Uh, Jesus uh, said to Peter, you are Peter, uh, which means rock, and on this rock, I'll build my church. Peter walked on water 
with Jesus. And Peter was one of the few that saw Jesus transformed or transfigured before his very eyes and heard the voice from heaven come down and say, this is my beloved son. But at the beginning of our passage, we don't hear any of this. Peter does not put himself forward, but instead he frames his identity and his authority in light of the glorious work of God. And so we come to our first point and our first lesson of Christian leadership. God establishes shepherds. And this doesn't mean elders are God's chosen ones and you can't question them. What it means is that Christian leaders are established by the complete and utter love and favor of God that he has undeservedly and completely unexpectedly bestowed on sinners like them. And his designs that he has for those shepherds. Elders do not establish themselves by their own credentials, their position, their education, their authority, their gifts. Um, and they don't write their own job description. Eld, um, God, uh, it is in God's undeserved favor, that firmly establishes shepherds and their work. Um, in identity, and we'll look at that, he establishes them in their, who they believe that they are, and he establishes them in responsibility, what they do in the church. So first, God establishes the identity of a shepherd. We can't overlook the phrases in verse 1 as generic Christian pleasantries. Those phrases, which we're going to look at, have become the core of the Apostle Peter's self-identity, and they need to become the core of our self-identity too. Peter is a witness of, to the sufferings of Christ. Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God, who's the radiance of the glory and the exact imprint of his nature, Hebrews 1. This is the one who loved you and gave himself for you. He suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And what will it mean to be brought back into right relationship with the creator, the God of light and the God of love? It means to share in the glory about to be revealed. Receiving the glory that comes from being known, by being loved, by being healed, by the God who created the sun, the moon, the stars, newborn babies, mountain vistas, human love, good food, hot showers, puppies, and whatever else you have ever loved or enjoyed in your lifetime. It is to receive him as the epicenter of all that is good and all that is true and all that is beautiful. Above Peter's own personal authority and pedigree and accomplishments, he sees himself at bottom as someone who believes in the vicarious work of Christ for him, and because of that, will one day partake in that glory. This is how elders should see themselves. And this is how Christians should see ourselves. We, us. So when elders and leaders lead out of this identity, they can then walk in their responsibility that has been established by God. In verse 2, Peter charges the elders to shepherd. And they are to shepherd God's flock. No, God is not expanding his financial portfolio by investing in livestock. This is metaphorical language. Um, God's flock is a metaphor that refers to believers who gather weekly to love God and love neighbor. That's us, members. And um, 
but what exactly does the responsibility of shepherding entail? In verses two and three, we'll see uh, Peter talks about how to shepherd, ways in which they're to shepherd well. Uh, but this passage doesn't give us specifics about the duties or the goals of shepherding. So as we look elsewhere in the Bible, what is shepherding? What do shepherds do? Um, we see that shepherds is a common metaphor for leaders. Uh, the image relates the care and patient watchfulness of a shepherd over his sheep to a leader, the patient care and watchfulness of a leader over his people. And taking the metaphor further, shepherds were often known to endanger themselves uh, for the sake of their sheep. If a sheep would wander away from the flock, the shepherd would risk personal injury from the, the terrain or, or an encounter with a wild animal. He would risk his safety to bring the little lamb back to the flock. And in the same way, good leaders um, are willing to suffer personal loss for the benefit of those around them and under their care. Some of you may be calling to mind what Jesus says about this in Mark 10. He says, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, rulers out there outside of God's kingdom, they lord it over them. And those in high positions act as tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to be great will be your servant. Whoever wants to be first will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to be served. The essence of shepherding is giving oneself in love to meet the deepest needs of the people under their care. The essence of shepherding is to give oneself in love to meet the deepest needs of the people under their care. And as Christians, we believe that our deepest need, our bedrock need, is to be brought back to God. Uh, and so shepherds, elders, uh, are to give themselves in love to meet the deepest needs of their sheep so that the sheep, the members of the church, can grow in love for God and in love for their neighbor and so fulfill the mission of the church to evangelize and disciple. So when Peter charges elders, shepherd, he's encouraging them to persevere in the sometimes joyful sometimes grueling task of loving, serving, and equip equipping people in the church. Sometimes the sheep are healthy and full of life. Um, sometimes the sheep are, are wandering, and they wander at their own peril or at the peril of others. Sometimes shepherds can't imagine doing anything more rewarding. And sometimes shepherds know nothing but exhaustion and sorrow for caring for their sheep. And Peter wants to encourage elders. And God wants to encourage us who are involved in any work of shepherding that it is God himself who establishes our identity. We're deeply flawed and yet deeply loved. And that's God himself who establishes our responsibility to love people who are deeply flawed and yet deeply loved by God. Do you see how this, this does two things? It pulls the rug out from leaders who want to lead out of their own authority, who want to do what they want to do. Um, it says that's not what we do in the church. And at the same time, it establishes for godly leaders the work that is really hard 
to love people, to give themselves for people. Because God himself has done that, and God himself has that for them, has that for you, um, to do the hard work of love. So that's who shepherds are, and that's what shepherds do, but how are they to go about doing it? And this brings us to our second point, that God empowers shepherds. Uh, Look with me at verse 2. Peter says, Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. So this is the first of three, not this, but this statements that Peter uh, makes to describe what good shepherding looks like. He first gives a negative, don't oversee out of compulsion, and then contrasts it with a positive. Instead, oversee willingly. So what does it look like to um, shepherd out of compulsion? Uh, In the education world, it makes a very big difference whether students find themselves in the classroom of a teacher uh, who wants to be there, who's who's willing, and a teacher uh, who has no interest in actually being there, but maybe they're there because they're a couple years away from that next level of the the pension. And oftentimes, this will impact a student's enjoyment uh, or quality of the work in the class. Um, So how can we know whether, if we're not a teacher, how can, if we're serving, caring, shepherding under compulsion? Here are some diagnostic questions. How often do we go about our tasks distracted, daydreaming about what else we could be doing? How often do we think how circumstances could be different if the sheep around us weren't so sheepy? How often does this come at the expense of the quality of our work um, or the good of those under our care? The second description, moving on, um, of what good shepherding looks like is not out of greed for money, but instead eagerly. Uh, most versions don't specify that the, the gain is for money, that the greed is for money. So like the New Living Translation says, not because of what you will get out of it, but because you're eager to serve. And obviously, if money's on the table, we know that that temptation is, is present if, if you're serving and you could get money. Uh, when I was growing up in high school, there was a widow in our church who needed her ma- lawn mowed. And it was not a very big lawn, uh, but she was willing to pay $40. And to a high school student, uh, it, was, um, it was hard to serve out of eagerness and not for what I could get out of it. 40 bucks to a high school student for a small yard is a good deal. Um, but there might be less obvious ways that we're tempted if money's not on the table. I was reading a book this week, and it talked about four core idols, four things that we're tempted to uh, pursue more than anything else. Comfort, control, power, and approval. We often look to money to satisfy those things, comfort, control, power, approval, but we also look to other people. Um, So how can we know whether we're caring, shepherding, uh, for selfish gain? Here's a diagnostic question. When was the last time you acted out of anger or bitterness at the sheep around you? When we're angry at the sheep for their sheepness, it's often because we expect something from them. Comfort, control, power, approval. And either they could not or did not deliver. Um, Or another one, how often... Um, do we act out of fear from the sheep around us? 
because we're afraid of them not giving us something like approval, power, and control. Okay, the third descriptor of good shepherding. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but instead being examples to the flock. Another version translates not lording it over as not domineering. There are the more egregious examples of domineering, the different categories of abuse, physical, spiritual, emotional. Uh, These kinds of abuse occur on a spectrum from very obvious, very hard to argue with, to very subtle and very difficult to prove. And then there are also uh, forms of domineering that we would not call abusive, more isolated instances um, of someone using their power, position, authority to get what they want from other people. So how can we know whether uh, we're serving, caring, and shepherding in a domineering way? Here's one diagnostic question. When was the last time you acted out of impatience with the sheep around you? It is easy to impatiently shout at the sheep when you are behind, um, when they don't listen to you as quickly or as efficiently or at all, when you're shouting from behind. It is much more difficult to get out in front of the sheep as an example and to say, follow me, follow me this way. I know you, you strayed, but follow me, follow my example, and to encourage someone to follow so Peter would have leaders we, uh, lead willingly, eagerly, and by example. And, and what do we do if we find ourselves this morning uh, or, ha- or we look back at the week and we've been angry and impatient and distracted? Look at verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. God empowers his shepherds, and he wants to empower you this morning by promising you that the chief shepherd guides and glorifies his flock. Perhaps we're struggling in our service to others because we've forgotten who the chief shepherd is. We've forgotten how much the chief shepherd loves us, wants to guide us to joyful servant leadership. Remember who he is, Jesus, the chief shepherd, who willingly became the lamb of God, a sacrificial lamb, to take away the sins of the world, your sins. Isaiah says he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. He's the king of kings who owns the crown of glory, but instead took on himself a crown of thorns so that he could put his crown of glory on your head. He's the one who for the joy set before him endured the cross, his own crucifixion, willingly, eagerly, and by example, to wash away our sins of anger and impatience and apathy that ruin the relationship with those around us and our relationship with God. The chief shepherd empowers his flock, under shepherds, elders, and members, by dying for them and by guiding us through his spirit day after day after day. God also empowers shepherds by holding out the promise of eternal glory. God wants to empower you to lead well, not by making you fast 
totally cut off your desire for comfort, control, power, and approval. But instead, by offering you the feast of comfort, control, power, and approval that comes from God himself. God wants to take away our earthly obsession with temporal glory and instead place there a yearning for heavenly, eternal glory. Look at the image that Peter uses. You will receive the unfading crown of glory. Here's what God wants us to understand this morning. He wants us to understand that we struggle to serve joyfully and sacrificially because we are obsessed and our desires are focused on a lesser glory. A lesser glory like those smiley face stickers that you sometimes get when you walk out of Walmart. And meanwhile, we walk past the unfading glory of a crown that belongs to God himself. We read in scripture that all glory belongs to God. So when it says that the chief shepherd will crown his people with glory, it means that the God of eternity will share his own glory with humans, with sinful humans. Now, granted, glory can be a slippery term. It's hard to really get our hands around uh, because it's not something that we fully experience in this life. It's not something that's solid and tangible before us. But one way that I start to make sense of glory uh, is thinking about God's fullness. His fullness of love, his fullness of joy, his fullness of peace that have always existed and will exist eternity without end between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He has no needs. He has no lack. He is completely and utterly full. The way that Peter puts it in another place is that we will partake in the divine nature. And we get these in flashes in this life. Whether you're a believer or whether you're skeptical about Christianity, we experience the flashes of God's glory. In the list that I gave earlier, babies and mountains and good food, they're flashes of God's glory like in a thunderstorm. Um, and so can you imagine, just like the, the, the lightning lights up the sky for a second when we enjoy those good things in this life, can you imagine the sky being lit up for eternity before us because we've actually received the giver of those good gifts? God empowers his shepherds through the hope of glory. But what does it actually look like to be empowered by the hope of glory? I was talking to somebody before church. Tomorrow's a Monday, and last week they worked 65 hours. So what does that actually, how does that help us tomorrow? Here's the one thing that the Lord's been teaching me. When I don't start my day, or I don't go throughout the day praying, perhaps that's a symptom that I'm desiring and I'm pursuing lesser glory. Um, my lack of, of prayer shows that my appetite is actually pretty small because I think I can get for myself or I can get from others the things that I want most. But as our desires begin to strengthen and to grow, we'll find it easier to pray. And actually, we'll find it necessary to pray. Because, not because we're supposed to pray as Christians, but because we realize that the things that we actually want more, most only come from God. Things like joy in the mundane. Things like being long-suffering in really difficult circumstances. Things like having genuine love for people who hate you. Um, like willingly sacrificing when you know you don't have very much. And most of all, an increasing and overflowing love for God in our hearts. These are the things that, comes from, that come only from God. 
So we've looked so far at how God establishes his shepherds in identity and responsibility and how God empowers his shepherds by guiding them and glorifying them. And in our final verse, we'll see that God emboldens his flock to trust, first to trust, and then he emboldens them to humility. In verse 5, uh, Peter now turns away from talking directly to the elders, and he starts to address um, what's, uh, how it's explained here as those who are younger. There is some debate over exactly who Peter is addressing, but what seems to make the most sense is now he's addressing not elders. In verses 1 through 4, he's been talking to elders, um, and now he gives uh, non-elders a straightforward charge. Be subject. Be subject to the elders. What does that mean? I, I really don't think that it means anything weird, like uh, make sure to uh, um, approve all purchases over $100 with your, your local elders. Or uh, after you submit the days off to HR, please also submit them to your elders. Um, I don't think that's what it's saying. Um, again, I like another, uh, a, a, a way that another version kind of says it. You who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. In a word, I think what Peter's encouraging is healthy trust. Trust from the members that the elders really do want to care for them, that they really do want to equip them. And it's right to recognize um, that it takes a certain kind of boldness to really trust leaders. It does not take boldness to take part in an institution that has leaders. We, we do that all the time, uh, and oftentimes the result is complaining. But what, when we really trust our leaders, um, that takes boldness. Uh, and, uh, if we've not, and the reason that it takes boldness is because if we've not experienced pain firsthand from abusive leadership, we certainly have heard from others of their pain from abusive leadership. But God emboldens his flock to healthy trust when he give them, gives them elders, not who are perfect, but elders who see themselves and their responsibilities under the authority and grace of God. Elders who are filled with love for God, a guiding and glorious God and who really want to bring people into right relationship with that guiding and glorious God. When we believe that Jesus is the chief shepherd, we can trust him to lead our church from above as we uh, trust our elders to lead our church from below. So what are a couple ways that we can uh, trust our elders well, do a good job of subjecting or trusting? Um, perhaps one way is by not dwelling on uh, the things that our elders are not doing, but instead to um, practice thankfulness for the good things that they are doing. When's the last time that you uh, set your face like flint towards a pastor to thank them uh, for their ministry? Thank them for maybe the example they've set for you or the teaching that they've given you. I hear all the time about the statistics. Pastors are leaving the ministry in droves. I don't know the numbers. Uh, but I would like to think that those statistics might change if congregations set themselves to the work of encouraging their pastors. Understanding that the work of shepherding is more than just being up here talking, uh, but it, it's, it's the grueling work of loving people well. A second way that we can actively practice uh, trusting our elders is by using them as a resource. I know that between the four elders that we have at our church, there's lots of years of life experience and ministry experience. Yes, the average goes up because of David's presence, um, but there's many years between all of them. Um, and uh, I want us to remember 
that their job is to equip you to love Jesus and love others. So if you feel like there's an area that you're really struggling to love Jesus or to love others, I would encourage you to have a conversation with them um, and just share with them your struggle. And I want us to remember that their job is to care for us. So if you are spiritually wounded or hurting, um, if you feel like you're reaching the end of your rope, I want to encourage you uh, that our elders want to do whatever they can to help you. And they want to do whatever they can to um, let you know and experience the help that comes from the chief shepherd. So this brings us to our last sentence. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so Peter does what Peter does. He gets to the end of a section and he says what he meant all along. You elders, be humble. You members, be humble. Let's remember that humility is not thinking less of ourselves. It's thinking of ourselves less less often. And so for Christians, this means filling our minds more often with thoughts of how good the chief shepherd is. And, and And so this is the undercurrent of our whole passage this morning. Remember that the distinction of the church is not its unique ideas or practices, but it's the presence of a unique person, the chief shepherd, guiding and glorifying his flock. And when we seek to humbly follow and love the chief chief shepherd, God gives grace. He emboldens his flock to humility toward one another, considering one another as more important than ourselves. And the fruit of that is unity as we let God guide us to glory.